Hey, help me welcome one more time our global family, all of our XFAM tuning in all over the world. And uh, we're so glad that you're joining us today. And another shout out for all of our first time guests. Uh, I would love to meet you. Yeah, it can take courage to step into a new place. And so I would love to meet you. My name's Russ. I'm on the team here. I'll be getting the joy to be able to share with you uh, for the next three hours today. And it's just going to be an amazing, and all of our first-time guests just cried, and that's not true. We'll, we'll get you out of here, but uh, it is a special place. I, I want to say that. I know I'm biased, but, you know, we say this all the time. This is the kind of place that, and I believe this, that church should be the safest place to walk through any journey of life, any painful place of life, any questioning place of life. And so this is the kind of place, we even say it this way, you can belong before you believe. And so we're so glad that you're with us, and if you are new uh, I want to tell you, this is week two of a new series called Hope for the Wilderness, like you just saw, and it is, as the title suggests, all about hope. I'm convinced of it. I said it last week. We rallied around the idea that perhaps the most painful, painful, valuable resource on planet Earth is hope. Are, are you anything like me, and sometimes you're convinced you need something, but really what you need is actually something else? Like a lot of times I'm convinced, man, if I just had more money, man, if I just uh, was better looking, anybody in the room wish that, man, if I just, um, no, y'all are, y'all are pretty vain. Y'all are good with the way you are. That's good. I'm, just, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're content with the way God made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But maybe you just feel like, man, I, I wish I was further along. I wish I had this. Can I tell you, I'm honestly convinced the thing that we need more than the external add-ons is an internal compass of hope. I, I believe it, it is the greatest resource known to man, especially in these times of fear and despair. And I don't, I don't know how full your hope bucket is. Uh, hopefully, is anybody's hope bucket a little bit higher than it was last week? That's good. Hey, I want to encourage you to take notes. I had one of the coolest, uh, there's been so many cool stories from last week, but right after the first experience, um, uh, one of the ladies came up to me and she said, I, I, for the first time, since you always annoy me about it, took notes, and I've been meditating on these notes of hope all week long. I hope, can I just say that? I hope you did that. I hope you went home and you did some of the homework. Anybody actually took the time to write some vision down this week? <laughs> uh, shame and condemnation. Okay. Uh, I'm just kidding. But I, I hope you do that. I hope you you take the time to really integrate this into your life because I think it'll change your life and mine. We talked about hope is not just some inspirational thing that you put on a cute little Instagram post that makes it great or on some Chip and Joanna Gaines ship like that looks beautiful over the living room wall. No, hope is something concrete and real. Psalm 37 says that hope is the thing that will bring us into a beautiful land of promise. And Hebrews 6 says it is the thing that anchors us and our souls. Hope is not a flimsy, inspirational, little theoretical thing. No, hope is a concrete thing that pulls us into a beautiful future and anchors us in a painful present. And we need hope like we need oxygen. And anybody like me, I could just use more and more hope. And in all transparency, if you weren't here last week, we, we talked about this. The message of hope for the wilderness, it, it does emanate from a burden of my own story that, and, and revelation of the way God helped me through that story that I just believe God's burned into my heart over the last five years that is given birth to this series, but it's also given birth uh, to a book. And uh, thank you. So, <laughs> this means someone besides my mom will read it. I, um, yeah, I, I, but I, I bring this up just because I, I did have a few of you ask last week. You're like, okay, you left us hanging. You didn't tell us anything about when it's coming out. And the truth is uh, the, the company that's publishing the book, they're working overtime to try to expedite the process so that before this series is over, which is next week, there could be some copies. So fingers crossed, uh, this time next week, there will be some copies available for purchase at the shop. Um, and this is before it actually comes out on Amazon. So there are pre-release copies, uh, no hardback yet, but paperback. And so if anybody besides my mom wants to read it, you will have an opportunity uh, to grab a copy next week. But last week, in the Hope for the Wilderness title, we drew a circle around hope. For a few moments, I want to draw a circle around wilderness. And everybody shouted. Um, because the truth is we have all been through or going through a wilderness season. And anybody ever said that before? Like, I just feel like I'm in a wilderness season. 
it is a little bit more of a churchy thing that you say in church, like I'm going through a season and, you know, but I'm going through a wilderness season. And there's, there's a lot of reasons people say that. I, I know for me, I, did, I felt like I didn't actually see a real wilderness till my sister moved to Denver, Colorado. Uh, see, I grew up in the South where we thought the Smoky Mountains were actually mountains. And then anybody ever actually gone to the Rockies, gone out west, and then you, like, encounter real mountains, you, you see a real wilderness, you go to Garden of the Gods and Pikes Peak, and, and uh, it, it can be beautiful, uh, but terrifying if you get lost in them. That's a story for another time, because that did happen to me. That doesn't surprise any of you probably, but it was terrifying, and I screamed a lot. <laughs> it's, it's fine. This is a, maybe this is the therapeutic place that this book came from. But we also use it because, you know, a, a part of the, the message of the book and a part of the reason people talk about wilderness seasons is because we see that in Scripture. There is a story of a group of people. It's a real-life story, but it's also symbolic of our story. And it's God's people that were in chains in Egypt, and they were living a life of addiction and misery and sadness and darkness. And then God had all along been promising and prophesying something about this people, that he was going to multiply this people, use this people, and that out of this people would come the blessing, the Savior of the world, Jesus. And so after 400 years of them being in chains and a life of just absolute purposelessness and dryness, God snatched them out of their life of misery. He rose up a leader to bring them out of Egypt, and then he told them, I'm going to send you not just from a place that felt like hell, but I'm going to send you to a land that's going to feel like heaven, and it's going to be full of abundance, and it's going to flow with milk and non-GMO, antibiotic-free organic honey, and it is going to be, I mean, lavishly built for homes for you to step into. The only problem was there was a gap in between their past and their future called the, the wilderness. It's the gap that we all face, by the way. In fact, can I just encourage you really quick? This is going to be really encouraging. Some of you are quickly going to be like, can we rewind to last week's message about hope? Here, here's the, you want to hear something encouraging? Here it is. Everyone under the sound of my voice has either been through a wilderness, is currently in the middle of a wilderness, or you're about to walk into a wilderness. You encouraged? Awesome. Let's go to Popeye's and we'll dismiss and we'll see you next week for week three of Hope for the Wilderness. But all of us have been through it in... If you've ever experienced a, a, a literal physical wilderness, you realize it's, it's a place that can be beautiful when it's on a snapshot, National Geographic, but once you step into it for any season of time, it's a place of discomfort, it's a place of pain, it's a place you can get lost, it's a place that you feel like there's no way out, it's a place you can feel trapped, it's a place with a lot of dangers, there's a lot of threats of wildlife, there's a lot of extremity of temperatures, there's, there's all of these things that... People die in wildernesses all the time physically, and unfortunately, a lot of people die in wildernesses emotionally and spiritually. So in this room, here's, I can imagine there's probably a number of wildernesses. I can imagine in a room this size, there's people that, you're in a wilderness financially. <laughs> I heard, well, help, in Jesus' name. Maybe it's a wasteland of of debt that you feel like, I don't know how I'm ever going to find my way out of this. Like, I've, I've heard all the Dave Ramsey stuff, but honestly, I'm spinning my wheels, and I don't know that I'll ever get out of this. Maybe there's people in this room that you're navigating through the rocky terrain of addiction, and you've been navigating for a while the best you can, but the, the, the cycle uh, and the mirages of recovery and then relapse and then shame and then secrecy and then pain is about more than you can bear, and you feel like this wilderness, I'm going to die in this desert which I just want to inject some hope early on in the message because we're going to go on a journey. Turn to the person right beside you, look them right in the eye. Say, you're not dying in this desert. Turn to the other person, tell them with a little bit more sass, don't you dare die in this desert. You got milk and honey coming. Maybe you're in this room and you, for your wilderness, it is, it's the lonely valleys of relational grief and sadness. Maybe a friendship blew apart, or you're on the other end of what you thought was the promised land of marriage, but now you're in the pain and tumultuous sands of a really heartbreaking marriage. Or maybe you're even on the other side, on the other side of that in divorce. Or maybe you've just been walking the long, lonely valley of singleness, waiting for the right one to come. Hey, here's what I know. A lot of people, especially in these days and age, maybe your wilderness isn't external, but it's internal. Like on the outside, you look like milk and honey, but on the inside, you're withering. On the inside, 
people will look at you and say, they have arrived, they look good, they sound good, they, 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 they're on the promised land, but inside, the giant of fear, the giant of depression, the giant of insecurity is holding you back from stepping into any kind of sweet land. And so what, what wilderness, are, did I cover pretty much everybody, by the way? So what wilderness are you in? And here's what I want you to consider for just a moment. This is going to sound really trite. Because here's the deal. I think we as Christians can sometimes be really bad at actually empathizing with people that are walking through real things. Anybody? Isn't it easier to give a cliche than compassion? Isn't it easier to give a bumper sticker verse than to actually weep with those who weep? I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's briefer. Hey, I'll be praying for you, brother. Don't you know that God works all things together for the good to those who love him? Don't you know if I punch you, you will just go for I mean, <laughs> any real people? But I, I do want to say this. Here, here's what I want just to, to throw out there for a few moments today. In the middle of the painful season, in the middle of the confusing season, could it be possible that what you feel like a curse could inside of it have the latent potential to be the biggest blessing? And could, I, I feel like there's probably some older people in this room that have walked enough life to back up what I'm about to say. Isn't it true that sometimes the worst seasons can be the best seasons? Isn't it true? I need somebody to help me. Isn't it true that sometimes the loneliest seasons can be the seasons where the sweetest intimacy with God is built? Can it sometimes be the most painful seasons that are also the most growing seasons? I heard Billy Graham say one time, he said, the mountaintops are great for inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valley. I heard Charles Spurgeon say this. He said, I've never grown in grace one-tenth as much as I did upon the bed of pain. It's great to walk down highways of blessing, but sometimes I'll only grow on the bed of pain. Is it possible that the most painful seasons might actually be the most powerful seasons? They could be a gift. Anybody ever received a bad gift, by the way? Anybody? Still waiting on the birthday gift. It's, it's like nine days late, so... If you haven't got me a birthday gift yet, there's a, a lot of other amazing churches around here. You can go, I'm just, it's a joke. There's people that are brand new. It's like, what is happening here? I don't know. I remember a few years ago, I probably told this story before, but I was with my parents, my aunt and uncle for a uh, Christmas meal. And those of you that know me know I'm a little bit of a foodie. And um, I can eat anything, all right? On the count of three, yell out your favorite food. One, two, three. I heard spaghetti pizza. Okay. Um, I mean, I can eat anything. But I prefer to support local. I, su uh, I prefer to, like, the, the adventurous side of me. I love to explore and try unique, fresh takes on things. And I don't know why, so don't judge me, but this particular uh, Christmas meal, I, I got into a little bit of a pretentious rant. I'm just going to be honest. I went on a rant on chains. I don't know why. I'll eat anything, but I, was just, I went on a rant on Applebee's. Poor Applebee's. I mean, I, I've eaten at Applebee's a million times. I'll eat with you at Applebee's. To, not today because I got company, but next week you want to go to Applebee's, we'll go to Applebee's. And the cheeseburger quesadilla is on me. But I went on a rant that, like, Applebee's is the worst place ever. Why would anybody go there? It's just, it's generic. It's tasteless. I mean, it's just, well, why? I mean, I just went on this whole thing. And then we went to open Christmas gifts. And Oh, yeah, sounds like you're smart, you, just, you know. So, <laughs> you know, when you get older, you don't really have these big boxes. You just, you just have an envelope with a little gift card. And uh, my uncle, I, I opened it, and to my horror, it was, it was an Applebee's gift card. And, he, and <laughs> as soon as I opened it, he goes, hey, I, sorry, I mean, I know that you said. And I said, no, 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 no. And I'll be honest. I may not be gifted a lot, but usually I can use my words to try to get out of things or to try to, you know, they didn't come. I stopped, and I, I saw my mom's eyes non-verbally pleading with me to say something, you know. And I was just like. I said, I said, no, no, no. It, what I was saying is that it. I don't, it's not that I love Applebee's, but if I were to choose to do a chain, I'm not saying it is even my first, but, and I feel my dad put his head in his hands, like, just begging me, please shut up, just don't say anything, don't say any more words, just, 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 just get under your chair and die, like, just do that, and uh, why am I telling this, I'm telling this because um, probably the worst gift you'll ever receive in life is the gift of pain, 
there is this verse where James writes a letter to a church and he says something really fascinating. He says, and I know it sounds crazy, he says, consider it pure joy, friends, when trials and tribulations come your way, for it produces the testing of your faith, which is more precious than gold. Uh, the message paraphrase says it this way. I, I want you to type in the chest. It's a gift. The message paraphrase says, consider it a sheer gift. Pain. What if pain is the great unwanted gift? I know you're looking at me like, I don't receive that. <laughs> but what if, just what if, it is the great unwanted gift that produces more power and more blessings long-term than anything else that could ever come our way. And he says, consider it a sheer gift. And can I just be honest with you? Is this a safe space for me to be honest? I don't usually do that. I don't usually count it all joy immediately when pain comes my way. I told you that I felt like I had this curse that the moment I paid off my car that it got hit three times. I don't know if anybody remembers that. I can, I'm just going to be straight up. I did not. When, I'm, when I was sitting on a side street in German Village, and my buddy Brian was in town in the passenger seat, and a car came up and sideswiped me and hit me, and Brian said, what the heck? That guy just hit you. Are you going to go after him? What are you doing? I did not respond. Whoa. Say law, brother. This is a moment of pure joy. Do you not understand what James said? This, tranquilo, this is a moment of a sheer gift that we have received wrapped by the envelope of the love of God in which we get to unwrap the pure power of who I'm becoming as a character and integrity of a man of God. I mean, I usually do that, but I didn't do it that time. But if you're anything like me, that's not my response. But what if, because can I be, just be honest, here's what I usually do when pain happens. I ask a really big three-letter word that may be vast. Why? Anybody ask that lately? Why? Why am I going through this? Why am I going through that? Any, anybody? I mean, I know it's kind of humorous, but anybody have any, like, whys, like a, like a barb, like a thorn stuck in your soul still today? Like, why were they not healed? Why did you not answer this prayer? Why am I still circling this mountain? There's a promised land. I hear him get up and talk about hope, and that's really, really great. But I have been doing all the right things and saying all the right things and going to church for years, and I'm still stuck in a wilderness of depression. I'm still stuck in a wilderness of waiting to see if I can actually have a child. I'm still stuck in a desert land of infertility. I'm still stuck in a place where my marriage, it doesn't seem like however many conferences we go to, however many counselors we go to, it's ever going to get better. And I've been circling in the mountain for 40 years. And here's what I want to say. You may not on this side of eternity ever know completely why. But here's what I do want to say. And again, this can, I don't mean this trite, but this is something that helps me. You may not always know the why of the pain, but you can always know there's purpose in the pain. And one of the ways that we get this is through a glimpse, a picture that a prophet gives in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah. And I want to take a look at it. If you're not familiar with the book of Jeremiah, just to give you some context, this is after the children go through um, the desert land and eventually the second generation goes into the promised land. Eventually God gives them kings and, and the, the, the people of God pretty much go through a pattern that if we're going to be honest, we kind of go through. And are you ready for the pattern? You ready for this? Here's the pattern. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Uh, life falls apart, usually their fault. Then they cry out to God, God, we're so sorry we've not been living right. Would you please come and do something new in my life? Would you forgive me? Would you set my feet upon a solid rock? Would you heal me? Would you bless me? And God in his gracious mercy comes down and says, yes, I will forgive you. I will restore you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to defeat your enemies for you. And by the way, just a reminder, so we don't have to go down this road again, that I'm not promising you that life is going to be a bed of roses, but I will tell you this, that blessings will always follow obedience. So just don't turn aside from following me again. Keep your trust in me. Keep your eyes I mean, they say, oh my gosh, we will forever. And then life gets finally better, and then they forget about God again. And then they go their own way again. And then they become spiritually apathetic again, and spiritually lethargic again. And they kind of start skipping church again. And, uh, and eventually life begins to fall apart again. And then when life finally falls apart, God, we need you. Does this pattern sound familiar to anybody? This is them. In the middle of this pattern of God's people, God raises up prophets, men of God, 
who God through them brings his heart and his message. And one of these infamous, one of these famous prophets is Jeremiah. And I want us to read this, Jeremiah 18, if you have your Bibles with you. Some of you think, I just did not know if you would ever get a scripture. We're there. And here's what it says. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house. So go on down to Barclay Studio. A- a- any Lancaster people in the room, go on down to the little place. I think it's like Seven Pottery, whatever, that has like the coffee and the pottery. Go, go, go down to one of those little pottery studios. And there I will give you my message. And he says this. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him, the potter, working at the wheel. But the pot, did my voice just crack? It just did. You need to cut that out. Um, <laughs> all right. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Anybody feel marred today? Anybody feel a little broken, a little fragmented today? It was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. So, God tells the, the prophet, he says, look, I want to give you a pretty provocative word picture. That my people are like clay, and they are to be like clay, supple and moldable and formable in my hands. And there's so many places we could go from here. By the way, this, this mental picture that God gives, this imagery, will be stretched out through the rest of Scripture. A few books later in Isaiah, the prophet says this. He says, you, O Lord, are our father, the potter, and we are the clay. We go through into the New Testament, and we hear Paul talking about how there's vessels for honorable use and dishonorable use, and his goal for us to follow Jesus is to be vessels that he can pour his life into and out of to change the world. Isn't that beautiful news? And then later on, it says this. It says we, anybody remember, anybody old school people in the room remember jars of clay? Five of you. That's awesome. That's where it comes from. Um, And then it goes on and says this. It says, like, we are like jars of clay, earthen vessels to which God's glory pours in and out of. We are earthen uh, vessels for treasure from heaven. What a beautiful picture that God gives that even when we're cracked and broken and, and we feel like we've been dropped, anybody feel like a, if I'm clay, I've just been dropped from the Eiffel Tower. But God's promise, the way he works, is I'm going to put you back together and actually I'm not going to remove the history of all your cracks. I'm just going to pour enough glory into you to display and infuse out of the cracks so that when people look at you, they'll know it's not your strength, but actually in your weakness, his strength comes to light. And that no matter how far you've been lost, God's glory can pour in and out of your life and make something beautiful, that God makes masterpieces out of our lives. But he says, he says, I want you to see this, but, but here's the deal. If, if, if I'm clay in the potter's hands, this, this tells me a few things. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a few, you can write notes if you're a note taker. Uh, here's a few things I realize when I'm on the wheel. Number one, I realize this. I remember that I'm clay. Just say that. Say, say that a lot. I'm clay. Turn to the person beside you and say, you are some good looking clay. Audrey. <laughs> Sorry, they made me laugh. <laughs> I watched a couple of you turn over, but without the energy to say words. It was just really funny. Can I just tell you? I saw a couple of you go. I just, sorry, it just made me laugh. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? Baby steps. Um, <laughs> but I remember that I'm clay, and that may sound really simplistic or maybe even depressing, but can I tell you why this is important? I cannot improve my future if I don't have a current understanding of my present reality. And can I just be honest? I mean, it would never verbalize it like this, but the way I live a lot of times, if I don't get into God's presence enough and into his word enough to have a lifted perspective that's more eternal and that's a little bit bigger than myself, I can, if I'm not careful, begin to act like, um, God, you're the clay and I'm the potter. And this life is about me. And yeah, I would love to, to sneak you into Sundays when it's convenient. And, and I would love to be a good person and be a good Christian. But really, I'm kind of the star of this Netflix series. And I'm going to continue kind of to do things my way. And I would love to, to, to throw you some tokens of Sunday service and attendance here and there. Is this too much? 
But can I tell you something beautiful happens at the place of surrender where Jesus goes from being a peripheral part of my life to consuming and becoming my life? Can I, can I tell you joy actually floods in the uh, St. Augustine, he's this old saint, he said it this way, our hearts are restless and they will forever be restless until they repose in thee, O God. That my restless heart only finds true rest and peace and joy the moment God becomes the central, fiery, unavoidable, burning reality in my life. And so I remember that I'm the clay. The second thing that happens is um, I reflect on my priorities. Uh, a few years ago, uh, probably five or six years ago, I, I preached a similar message, and I was living in Georgia, and I actually found a pottery studio that let me borrow their wheel. Did you, by the way, did you know how expensive those things are? I tried to find one for this. I love you guys. I do. But it was like $5,000 for a low-level potter's wheel. So anybody that wants to take up that profession, I hope you were loaded. But but I asked her, I was like, walk me through this whole process. And one of the things that she told me, she goes, if you are a good potter, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to center the clay on the wheel. Nothing that happens after that even matters if they don't first center the clay on the wheel. What are you saying? I'm saying, anybody ever notice like me, sometimes it's in the painful seasons that you finally get back to your priorities? It's, in the, it's only in the seasons where my the soil, the clay of my heart is moistened enough by pain to remember what actually matters, which is Jesus and people and his kingdom. Anybody like me? Hey, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe the breakup happened to get you back on the wheel. Maybe the pain happened to get you back on the wheel. Am I saying God calls it? Absolutely not. But I will tell you, God will use it. God will use. He will not waste our pain. I reflect on my priorities. Here's the third thing that happens. Is this helping anybody? I realize I can trust God. Can I, can I just be straight up? I don't always, okay, let's say we're talking about the wheel. Can we talk about Ferris wheels for a minute? Any Ferris wheel fans in the house? Anybody like me just not trust it? No? I just, don't judge me. I just, I have a lot of images in my head of what happens in traveling carnivals. I won't, I won't unload those here in this setting. I don't, you're looking at me like this is not a safe space. But I will tell you the end result of what I picture happening if I get it on a car, carnival Ferris wheel is I picture something happening, the guy not paying attention, me being catapulted 90 feet in the air and landing in a hot boiling vat of funnel cake oil to burn slowly to my death. It's just what I picture. I don't know what's wrong with me. I need therapy, but it's just what I picture. But for whatever reason, um, if it's a permanent, like if it's Disney World, oh, sign me up. I'm getting on that thing. Why? Because I actually trust the hands behind the wheel. And can I tell you something special happens when you realize, God, this may be a painful season, but my life is in your hands, and so I can trust that the hands that are forming me are for me, and they're for my good, and that even when it's painful, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said it this way. He said, God is too wise to be mistaken and too loving to be unkind, so when I can't trace his hand, I can't trust his heart. What if I decide that since the hands that are forming me were pierced for me, I can trust him? Which means I won't run off the wheel or numb my pain while I'm on the wheel, hello, but I will trust that while I'm on the wheel, he is doing something beautiful. I want to say like David, I trust you from the bottom of my heart. And here's the fourth one, I, I receive his character. This is going to be old school. No one's going to shout over this. For me, it's on the wheel sometimes that I realize that God is more concerned with my holiness than my happiness. While I'm tethered to the emotional roller coaster of my happiness being attached to whatever circumstances are happening day by day, God wants something better for me. He wants a solid joy that is rock solid and doesn't vacillate with whatever season I'm in. God wants to, here's what God does on the wheel. God on the wheel, anybody just resonate with me that is in the painful seasons of my life, that if I will walk with Jesus through it, he uses that season to patch up my character and to seal up the leaks in my integrity. 
that he wants to pour new wine into the vessel, but he says, hey, there's some holes at the bottom, so not only can I not do the things I want to do through you, but I can't even pour out the blessings I want to pour into you because they would just leak out the bottom. Your life actually doesn't have the substructure to contain all the blessings that I want to pour into it. See, God wants to use this season to pour his character into me. Can I tell you the most important thing that's happening in this season for Russ Moore is not what's happening to me, but what's happening in me. So the most important thing is not what I'm doing in this season, it's who I'm becoming in this season. And so God will, wants me to receive his character, and here's the last one, and they can come to the music so I can shut up. And somebody said, amen, don't you dare say it. Number five is this, I recognize that I'm being prepared for something great. God has a promised land in store for you. I heard, I heard John Maxwell say this one time. He said, most of us have uphill hopes. The problem is we just have downhill habits. What if my life isn't ready for the land? See, God uses the wheel to prepare me for what he has prepared for me. See, if you don't write it down anything else, because maybe some of you are thinking, okay, I get the hope thing. I get the wilderness. Why the wheel? Here's what it is. I want you to write this down in bold letters in your notes. The wilderness is the wheel. See, the wilderness is the wheel where God has brought me out of Egypt, but he's not brought a lot of Egypt out of me. The wilderness is the wheel where God says, I am going to cleanse you of everything that can't go into your future. I'm going to strengthen you, establish you, pour into you, purify you, kind of like gold when it goes through the trial, the impurities rise to the surface, and then they're cleansed and removed so that the owner, the potter, you know, you, you know the gold, right? When they look at gold and they're purifying it, they want to see the reflection staring back at them. God wants to so refine my life. He wants to make it like so much gold that when Jesus looks back at me. He sees his reflection looking back towards me. See, here's the, here's the thing. I just want you to catch this. God gave them a vision for the future. He said, you have been living purposeless lives. You've had no rhythms. You've had no identity. You've had no freedom. And I am going to set you free from all of that. And I'm going to send you into a land where you're going to have my presence, my protection, my blessing. One time they sent the scouts out to look at how bountiful the land was. And they said, we saw people carrying grapes. And the grapes were so large, they had to put one person on each side. In other words, the blessings were so big, we couldn't even contain it. And I want to tell you, God has promised land plans for you too. I am not preaching that everything's going to be settled and a bed of roses this side of heaven, but I am preaching John 10, 10, that Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that there are higher hills to climb. There are places in life where I can step into, where I stop living in the chains of insecurity and being knocked down by the giants of sin and compromise and anxiety, and I step into a place where I'm no longer walking in the flesh, but I'm walking powered by the Spirit, fire in my eyes, destiny and purpose in every step I'm taking, God blowing through my life doing supernatural things. That is a promised land plan that God has for you and me. But here's the problem. That's great preaching, isn't it? But here's the problem. There's a gap between Egypt and the promised land. And guess, guess, guess what my gap is? Me. Even now, as I stand here, supposed to be have all my crap together as a preacher. Even now, I can tell you, I was thinking about this past weekend. There's ways in which my present life isn't ready for my future land. See, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, did you know, maybe, have you ever read this verse where God, it, God says, see, it, was, it should have been like an 11-day trip. God says, I'm going to take them on a two-year detour. Of course, by their sin and grumbling and complaining, it ended up being 40 years, and they died in the wilderness, but it was only supposed to be two years. But why two years instead of 11 days when it was just 11 days as far as the crow flies? Well, the reason is because God said, if I don't take them around the longer route, they will not be prepared to defeat the enemies, and they will be destroyed. What was he saying? He was saying their current life isn't ready for the future land. I have a feeling there are parents in here that understand this because you know what it's like to have children, that you're getting them ready to drive. But And, and maybe you're one of those parents that you're going to do the Dave Ramsey and match their funds, or maybe you're going to buy a car for them. But here's what I know about every good parent in the room. 
Even once you buy the car and you have it in the garage, you are not, when they turn 12 years old, just going to say, well, there you go. What are you going to do? You're going to wait till they turn a certain age. Then you're going to take them on the road and you're going to train them and you're going to prepare them and you're going to make sure their maturity is ready for the blessing which you want to give to them. And then even though the car is in the garage, you're going to wait till they study and take the exam and pass the exam and are actually, what are you doing? You are preparing them for what you have prepared for them. I need somebody to get this. It may be the most painful season, but what if God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you? And by the way, can I tell you, usually the more painful and long the wheel process, the greater the destiny. You're the 1115, so you're in trouble. We're going to go for a few minutes. Let me tell you something. God gives young Joseph a dream and says, I'm going to raise you up to bless the world. And then what happens? Joseph spends 19 years on the wheel being prepared for the destiny. God speaks to David, I'm going to raise you up, a man after my own heart. I'm going to pluck you from the shepherd field because I see your heart and I see your soul, and I'm going to raise you up. What happens next? Then he spends all of these decades being hunted down, being chased down, being a fugitive in the middle of the wilderness. Why? Because God was preparing the king's heart for the king's seat. Elijah, same thing. Paul, same thing. So if you feel like, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this wilderness, good news. God may just be preparing you for a bigger destiny, so don't you dare die in the desert. God, speaking of wise, Logan's here, one of my best friends in the entire world. I probably told you a million stories. His dad was my pastor for a while. His uncle was my pastor for a while. His uncle was my youth pastor slash pastor for 15 years of my life. And I'll never forget, I was early 20s. I walked into Jason's Deli, sat down, and his aunt and uncle are sitting there, and I'll never forget. I knew that day was the day that she was going to find out if she had breast cancer. And I asked her, you know, how do you ask that? And I was like, well, how did today go? And it was just that moment. She took too long to look up. I knew. And she was like, it's cancer. And tears rolled down her face. And that's one of those moments. Why? God, this is a godly couple. This, is, this couple loves you, loves people. I'll never forget a few weeks later. So his uncle, just incredible leader, the, the youth group at that time, that sounds crazy to think about, the youth group had exploded to over 500 students coming every Wednesday night. His revival had broken out. I'll never forget the night he took the stage, him and his wife, to tell the story. And he was honest and authentic, but mainly smiled, mainly just had faith in his mouth. And I remember asking him afterwards, I was like, how did you do that? And he said, son, they've spent eight years hearing me brag about Jesus in the mountain, and now they need to know how faithful and good he is in the valley. And then about a month later, she was about to go in for major surgery. And he said, he just, I mean, he didn't say this in a braggy way on stage, but he told me just personally, he said, you know, that morning of the surgery was the longest morning of my life. He said, I woke up, couldn't sleep, of course. He said, I just woke up and stared at the wall, just stared, just paralyzed with fear. Just, anybody there? I just feel my spirit. Like, you're there right now. Like suffocating with anxiety. What does the future hold? And he said, I can't say I do this like this every time, he said, but if, I don't, he said, I don't know what it was, but a switch flipped in me. And he said, I rolled over and I told Regina, my wife, he said, we're not going down like this. He said, we're going to spend an hour and I'm going to put on worship music and we're going to spend an hour not asking God for anything, but saying, God, you, even on the wheel, you're worthy. And I'm not going to wait off the wheel to tell you how much I love you. Even if you never do another thing on the wheel, you created me. You gave me breath. You died for me. You put your spirit inside of me. You wrote my name in heaven. You have forgiven me and wiped my slate clean. So even on the wheel, I'm going to worship. Somebody needs to hear that today. You only get to choose so many times in life what you do on the wheel. 
And you can look back and say, I cursed God on the wheel, I ran off the wheel, or even on the wheel, I said, God, I may be frustrated, but you're still faithful. I may be hurting, but you're still holy. I may be lonely, but you're still loving. And I will leverage my life to worship. But they didn't stop there. A few months later, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky as part of a church plant. And you know the first thing Regina did? By the way, praise God. I know this isn't everybody's story, but she's cancer-free now, eight years. But you know the first thing that she did when she moved to Lexington? She called up UK Hospital. Don't hold that against her. She called up UK Hospital, and she said, you know what would have been amazing for me is to have, when I got that diagnosis, to have walked down the hall, and there'd be a spirit-filled lady waiting to greet me and to walk with me through the journey. What was she doing? She was saying, God, even while I'm on the wheel, use my pain, leverage my story, and I will not wait to get off this wheel to be a megaphone for the hope that I have in Jesus. If I got to go even in the pain, use me. If you got to, turn my pain into power. Turn my crushing into anointing. Because it's on the wheel that you actually create masterpieces. Ephesians 2, the message paraphrase says this, long before we ever had our hopes up on God, he had his eyes on us, designs for glorious living. God's got that for you. I don't care how long you've known Christianity. I don't care if you've bought into the lie that this is a come to church on Sunday and go through the motions and be boring, but a pretty good person through the week. No, Jesus has designs on you to climb higher hills and encounter them on bigger mountains and to actually step into purpose. We don't have time to look at it, but Kintsuji is this Japanese art of repairing cracked pottery where they used to send, we may even have it, I don't know, they used to send the, the pots that would be broken back to China, and they would do this horrible job of repairing it, so they would send it back, and it'd have like metal staples in it, so finally they developed this thing called Kintsuji, which is the Japanese art of repairing cracked pottery using gold epoxy, and it was a philosophy that said our flaws and our cracks, once they're restored, don't make us less valuable, but more valuable. These are actually more expensive than the originals. What, is, what am I saying? I'm saying I don't care how broken you feel. I don't care how dark your past when the potter of heaven gets a hold of the fragmented pieces of your life he can spin masterpieces more beautiful more holy and more priceless than you could have ever imagined and it will actually tell the story of God's grace through you I told you last week in 2016 just this crazy season of life and I got shingles. It was so, I was so stressful. I didn't know anybody. By the way, we need to have a, kind of like in the office, they have a run for the cure. They have a run for the cure for shingles. I've had so many people out there tell me I had shingles when I was young. I never knew it. Anybody with me run a marathon for shingles? Okay, I'm going to close. But it was just such a painful season, such a lonely season, such a, a tough season. And I won't tell you, I'll bore you with all the details now. But... During that season, I, I flew out. The Claypool family was in Dallas, and I had some friends at Gateway and flew out to just be with them. I was numb. I'd, I'd not yet told them anything that had happened. But I just flew out there, soul numb. And when I got out there, they took me to the home of this intercessory prayer couple. And they're, they're what I consider a unicorn in the church world. They can hear from God, but they're not crazy. Your, your grins tell me you've met a few of those people, but that they're rare. Um, and again, nobody knew anything I'd been through. But I'll never forget, I just sat there and stared at the floor while they talked and caught up. And I, I wasn't going to talk or open up, but she said, can I pray for you? I said, sure. And I just hung my head. She laid her hands. And I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be weird. This may sound odd to you if you're new to faith, but there was a power that entered that room. There was a presence that filled that room. My defenses melted. My numbness dissipated. And I had one of the most intense encounters with God I've ever had in my entire life. About an hour later, I picked myself up off the floor. It was such a holy moment. This is, You're going to be shocked when you hear this because you know me. I didn't talk the rest of the night. Logan backed me up. I didn't say a word the rest of the night. It just felt like, I would, it felt like an Isaiah 6 moment, if you're familiar with Scripture. I mean, it just was insane. And then she began to speak prophetically about things she had no way of knowing. The old timers would, would call it, she read my mail. 
She began to speak specific things about my life she had no way of knowing. And at the very end, while I'm trying to gather myself emotionally, she walks out of the room and she brings back into the room an apple made of glass, like a crystal-shaped apple. And I remember thinking, oh, great, she is crazy. <laughs> and she said, no, she said, you need to know that this, is, this glass was made from the ashes of a volcano. And a dear friend gave it to me to remind me that God can always make beauty from ashes. And she said, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that you've just been through something traumatic, but you faced it with Jesus. And he wants you to know that your pain in this season will be the platform for the next. What is that feeble, measly book that's about to come out? It's just the pat platform that came from the pain. What is it God's going to do in your life in this season, next season? It's just the platform that's going to come from your pain. Nobody has your story, but the world needs to hear it. And the world needs to know, you may feel like it's not a big story. You may feel like, I feel like we always think our stories are either too spicy or too bland. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when I was younger, I was like, why don't I have that testimony that I was just getting ready to fly to Jamaica and sell uh, drugs to underage children and, and pets and animals. And then all of a sudden, an angel just flew into the landscape and just landed the plane and a shining light just came over me and said, thus, this is my servant. I'm going to use you to the nation. Anybody ever wish they had that testimony? Or how many people in this room, you're like, yeah, I'll never tell that part of the story. And there are certain parts that are good for certain timing, but I want to tell you, God will use your story. And God has a way of taking all the fragmented pieces of your life and turning it into power. Stand to your feet if you don't mind. And I'm going to read to you one last verse. Isaiah 61.3 says this, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown. Can we say this together? A crown of beauty for ashes. The ashes of your dissipated dreams. The ashes of your broken heart. All your ashes. Say that. Say all my ashes can become beauty. It doesn't mean it's all going to wrap up in a neat little bow this side of heaven, but it means that even in the pain, Romans 8.28 is true. He can use all things to work for our good and his glory. Isaiah 61.3, to all who mourn in Israel, he'll give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. You may feel like I am on crumbling sand right now, but I want to speak the verse of Peter over your life that after you have suffered a little while, the Lord himself will restore you and strengthen you and put you on solid ground. He will plant you like an oak for his glory. And to anybody in the room that you're like, this all sounds great. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know who Jesus is. Guess what? You know, even Jesus asked why. When Jesus stretched himself out on the cross for your sin and my sins, even he, though he was fully God, was also fully man. And in his humanity said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the reason is so that he would never have to forsake you. Maybe there's an even more important question than why or even what, and it's who. And the cross tells me that no matter what I walk through, why I walk through it, I can know who is in my story. I can know who is fighting for me. I can know who is walking with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And when this falls from the Eiffel Tower and shatters like Humpty Dumpty, I can know who can take the fragmented pieces of my life and put me back together again and actually make my story more beautiful, not less, because the scars simply tell a story of his grace. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, you're like, I don't even know if I'm in the potter's hands. And today's your day to meet the potter. Today's your day. If you don't have a dynamic living relationship with Jesus, I want you to pray this with me. A simple prayer doesn't change everything, but a turning of the posture of our heart will. Pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I come to you as I am with all of my flaws and all of my brokenness. And I recognize in this moment that I am condemned in sin before you. But I also believe the good news that you died and became sin for me. And so in this moment, 
I confess with my mouth that Jesus, you died for me and you rose again. I believe that you came to save even people like me. And so Jesus, I turn my back from all of my ways and I will follow you all the days of my life. If you need one thing to just make your heart posture, just make it this. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And without anybody looking around, if that's you and you just said that prayer, would you be so bold to do what Jesus said and acknowledge him before men and raise your hand high without any hesitation? I see one. Anybody else? I see two, three, four. Praise God. I'm telling you today, if that's the true posture of your heart, that you are turning to him, today is the greatest day of your life. Heaven is rejoicing and throwing a party. And from this day forward, this isn't the end of your conversation with God. And it's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. And I want to encourage you still with every head bowed, every eye closed, that today, if you make that, made that decision, that you go to next steps afterwards and you partner with this community of faith to support you and surround you and be a part of every next step. But heads still bowed, eyes still closed. Can we celebrate with every Everybody that just went from death to life. Come on, you can do better than that. We're celebrating. And now with every, every eye still closed, I want to ask you to stretch out your hands, palms towards heaven. And here's what we're doing symbolically in this moment. We're saying, God, here are my pieces. Come on, just tell them. God, here's that, here, here's that jagged edge that I've been convinced will never heal. Mm. The Holy Spirit is healing somebody in this moment. I sense it as much as I'm on this platform. The Holy Spirit is healing somebody from something from childhood in this moment. And the Holy Spirit wants to tell you he has seen every second of your life and that you don't have to stay trapped in the past. But as you surrender that peace to him, he is going to fill that empty space with himself. Say, God, I give you the pieces. I give you the pieces of my broken dreams. I give you the pieces of my anxious heart. I give you the pieces of my troubled soul. I, how about this one? God, I give you and surrender to you the unknown future. And Lord, I speak healing. I just sense your presence in this moment. Healing. Rebuilding, restoration, renewal. After that kind of seasons. In Jesus' name, and amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.